Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, my name is Jason Shadrick, and this is Chasing Frets, and we are wrapping up this week with Matt Smith. And as you heard earlier this week, I'm joined by Andy Ellis. Hello. And today's episode, we are going to focus on why you should be a recording guitarist. And I know you go way back with recording technology, Andy. Yeah, I do. My first multi-track recorder was the beloved Porta Studio 244, the four-track on cassette and that changed my life i'd always lusted after big tiac reel-to-reel machines could never afford it got the porta studio changed my life and now i have a home studio that i'm pretty proud of yeah you know and matt matt will tell us why this is good for our music evolution our personal private music evolution and why it's important that today you you have one too. Yeah. And for me I was I was really late, embarrassingly late into getting into recording. But, you know, even now I'm able even with my band, I'm able to, you know, do overdubs and tracks and program stuff in my home in my meager home studio. But probably more important to that, being able to record myself whether it's playing over a backing track or just kind of putting something together for my own benefit. I've I've been able to have a deeper, been able to analyze my own playing at a much higher level. A sonic microscope yeah. you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. And whether that comes to tones or techniques or, or even just rhythmic feel, you know, mm. it, it's putting something on and playing to it and then stepping back and listening to it objectively is one of the yeah. most valuable things that uh, that I've found about being able to record yourself. Yeah, I agree. So uh, hope you enjoy our last episode here with Matt Smith, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right, Matt. Now I know down in Austin you run a studio called Six String Ranch, which I've come and hung out at and, and visited. And so what I want to talk to you today is about some some simple home recording techniques that you've learned while running your studio that people if they're just at home with a with a pretty simple setup can use. So when when you have somebody that comes and talks to you and says, "Hey, I'd like to get in to be able to make some some basic home recordings." Outside of obviously you're going to probably use a computer, uh, an interface, a mic, something like that. What are like the bare bones building blocks you think people should start out with? Well, the most important aspect of the software that's included with most recording systems uh, is the compressor and the equalizer. And we'll, we'll talk first about the equalizer. First of all, 
Uh, the biggest mistake most people make is not high passing. Now, high passing is is a uh, uh, dis- it sounds like you're taking stuff off the high, but you're actually taking stuff off the lows. In other words, there's a, a filter and it looks like a little inverted V pointed down at the left. It's just a, or, or a little slanted down towards the left. You'll see that on most equalizers as the, 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 uh, the, the filter is usually all the way over to the left. Uh, and then what that is is a high-pass filter. And, and what that does is it takes out uh, everything below a certain point. It's called a high-pass filter, but it takes out low-end, just like a low-pass filter takes out high-end. But the high-pass filter is the most important part because – they're left by themselves. So even if I talk into this mic, there are frequencies like the wind hitting the mic that uh, exist very, very low, below the range of the speakers. And by uh, if you don't take that out, it's going to rob the low end or mush up the low end of your recording. So usually what I'll do instantly is take off everything below 30 hertz off of every single channel because there's no speakers that you have, even the ones in your car that rattle the windows, <laughs> That are that are going to do anything below thirty hertz. So thirty hertz, I generally take off of everything before I do anything. So that goes on first. The next thing I'll use a lot of times is a compressor. Now, software compressors almost invariably uh, default to kind of a fast attack or a medium attack and a medium attack release uh, or medium release. Really, uh, what happens if you try to? Uh, turn the attack on your compressor all the way up and play your guitar, it's going to squash all the dynamics of what you have. So in other words, it's, that's a terrible thing to do. Don't do that to your guitar. So wh- what it is is you want to use a relatively slow attack on a guitar and a compressor and a relatively fast release. Uh, having said that, if I'm playing slide or something, I'll use a longer release time. Those are the, the two most important things with the, with the, uh, uh, the compressor the attack and the release controls. I would try the slowest attack and the fastest release and then adjust it from there, depending upon how it sounds, after I've high-passed the guitar. Mm-hmm. Now, with an electric guitar, I'll usually high-pass it further than I would. Uh, I might take it all the way down to like all the high-pass all the way up to 50 hertz, so there's nothing that's going below 50 hertz on the guitar because that's really... There's nothing on the electric guitar that's any worth. It's just mud and noise down there and rumble. So uh, and so, I get rid of that, and then it tightens up the sound. Now, there's uh, most compressors have different types. With guitar, uh, I like the FET style compressor, and that's a uh, uh, it's it just sounds more aggressive for guitar. That sounds pretty good. And then so that's the first thing. Then what I'll do, for example, on a bass, the secret weapon on the bass is to use a little boost at 700 hertz. And 700 hertz will just make it peak out in a, in a, in a, in a mix. Mm. The same thing, for example, around 5K on the 5,000 hertz on the top of a, just a little bit on the top of an electric guitar, particularly a, a humbucker guitar. Uh, the, the, so the main thing is really is to listen to it. And if things sound bad, make them not sound bad. EQing is the things where you find the frequencies. A lot of equalizers have what they call a, a, an analyzer in it. So you can see exactly what's going on. You can see if there's too much uh, 3K or too much, fi- you know, something like that, which is the kind of the, you know, the ice pick to the head yeah, stuff. Yeah. 
So those are the things that are really important. Also on vocals, that's the same thing. Particularly with guitar, though, you want to have a little bit of compression so that it packs it in, particularly with distorted guitars. Now, distorted guitars don't need compression that much because they're already compressed by the amplifier and the sound that you're using. A lot of times people in home recording will use software amplifiers because they live in an apartment and they can't, you know, turn their amp up. So, you, But they make great software. There's a plenty of different companies that make. I have my favorites, but we're not going to talk about those. And But the uh, there's certain software. You just want it to sound good. If it sounds good, but you'll also notice that certain sounds don't sound good within the mix. Mm. Things sound great by themselves, but they don't necessarily sound good in the mix. And a lot of that has to do with how you're placing the equalization, you know. And also... Uh, Everything can't be huge. <laughs> Every, you want everything to be huge, but the more... He, if, everything's, if everything's huge, nothing's huge. Yeah, that's what happens yeah. with the recordings. Everyone tries to make this giant, huge stereo, stereo this, stereo that, and everything. I, I like to have things be small sometimes and, and fuzzy. Because if, if there's something small and fuzzy, it sticks right yeah. out. You know. And one thing we were talking about before we started recording was the, the importance of an interface. Yes, I'll explain it. And so talk to me a little about that. So a lot of times when people start recording, they buy the cheapest interface they can find. And I'll just use the analogy of this. You know, when you uh, go to a restaurant or something and you order a, a Coke or a drink or whatever, they have these little stirring straws in it. And the stirring straws generally have two tiny little holes in them. You know, they're not meant to be sucked through, but all of us have tried sucking through the little drink stirring straw. And you have to suck really hard to get anything to come out of there. Uh, uh, a poor quality interface is like the difference between drinking through that little tiny, tiny holes in the drink stirring straw or opening up your mouth and just pouring the drink in. So what happens is you have to look at it this way. Uh, uh, what an interface is, is preamps and analog to, to digital converter and digital to analog converters. So what happens if you, uh, this is what you pay for, and as you get up in, into a certain level of interface, you're paying for better preamps and you're paying for better conversion. Conversion is even more important than the preamps. It's what converts the, uh, the audio, your beautiful guitar sound, into ones and zeros, and then converts your, the ones and zeros back into the guitar sound you want to hear. So having a good converters within your interface makes all the difference in the world. Even more important than the preamps. However, the preamps also have a uh, a really good, you know, they, they also play an important part. For a, for a home studio, I mean, what kind of price point are you thinking is where uh, interfaces start becoming sketchy? Like, do you feel like you need to spend five hundred or more, or a thousand? Yeah, five hundred or more. Five hundred. I, I think you can get pretty ones. The one, you know, the like anything, uh, as you get higher and higher level. You're paying a lot, a lot of money for uh, just little increments of better, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, you know what happens with anything. You know you can, you can get, uh, you know, you, you can buy a guitar for five hundred bucks, or you can buy a guitar for five thousand dollars. Now the five hundred dollar guitar, you'll be able to play pretty well. You can go do a gig with it, and it's going to sound good. The five thousand dollar guitar will be better, and it'll play better, it'll feel better, it'll sound better. But is it ten times better? realistically yeah so that's my point with the with the, uh, the interface too i would say at least a 500 dollars, and if you can find a, a good one you know a, a much a thousand dollar one used for 500 bucks that's even better yeah right. you know the great things about interfaces either they work or they don't they don't get old 
so we have so the computer, the interface. Uh, when it comes to mics, what's a good starting place for people for mics? There are several different types of mics. There's the condenser mic, which requires phantom power. And that usually has multiple uh, uh, forms. For example, it can go from a figure of eight to cardioid to omni, and those are different mic patterns. Cardioid is just what you, you know, it was right in front of you. The next form of mic is a cardioid mic, which is like what you sing live through. Car- I, I'm sorry, dynamic. What's the uh, condenser mic? What would that be good for? Condenser mic is really good for vocals and for guitar and for uh, acoustic guitars and for any number of things. It's just a much more pristine sound. Okay, so that really, really, you kind of need a condenser mic. There are two types of condenser mics. There's a large diaphragm condenser mic, which is the larger ones that you see people singing into, and then there's the little pencil ones that are called small diaphragm mics. Those work exceptionally well for overhead mics for drums and for acoustic guitars. Mm -hmm. Then the the next form of mic is the dynamic mic. The dynamic mic, for example, like a SM57 or what we're all talking through right now are dynamic mics. And and those are really good for uh, sometimes rock vocals and also for drums and also for guitar amps. The third type of mic that's really important is the ribbon mic. Now, if you've ever had problems with your electric guitar sounding too fizzy, ribbon mics will take care of that initially. Ribbon is just like this, it's the actual kind of metal, folded metal material. They call it ribbon. It's not, it's not really a ribbon. It's a piece of metal. But the ribbon mics, uh, they don't use phantom power or do dynamics. You plug them in, but they're fairly low level, so you have to be able to drive them pretty loud with a preamp. You have to have a pretty powerful preamp. You need at least 60 decibels of gain for a ribbon mic. So you need to have a pretty good preamp to drive the ribbon mics. However, the ribbon mics sound great. They just sound great for electric guitars. If you have a ribbon mic on your electric guitars and you combine it, for example, even with a dynamic mic, you're going to have a great guitar sound. As long as your amp sounds good, it won't help a crappy guitar sound if your sound doesn't sound good. Yeah. There's there's an interesting controversy, you know, if you read Tape Op, which I do and, and uh, enjoy very much, enjoy it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm old school, Matt. I'm older than you are. Yeah, and, there's uh, somebody older than me? Uh, we grew up <laughs> – yeah, believe it um, – but we grew up in a time where when you were in the studio, everything was mixed, of course, through big speakers in a room. But the destination was – there were one of two destinations that the consumer was expected to listen to the music in. Either your car or a room with a stereo system. Well, a stereo system. Hold on that thought because we're going to come back to the stereo system here in a second. But now people are consuming music through uh, personal earbuds and, you know, uh, their phone or or maybe a computer with the computer speakers. But basically how many people coming back to the stereo system, how many people do you know anymore who have a stereo set up in their living room? It ain't like it used to be. I know, me too, but but we're the we're the old guys. So the, the the controversy is it used to be against the law, metaphorically, to mix with headphones. It used to be against the law. You were supposed to mix through speakers because the stereo system. And now, of course, people are listening with earbuds, but I still hear 
this kind of re, uh, resistance by a, a lot of mixers and engineers to the idea of mixing with headphones. Where do you stand on this and, and why? I, I listen to, I think speakers are really, uh, or studio monitors are really important, particularly to clearly hear bass uh, because the, the headphones don't necessarily always have, they can either overhype the bass or underhype the bass. I think it's, uh, but I really like a good set of headphones uh, in order to hear the stereo separation better. So uh, a lot of it has also to do with how your room is treated, but there's a larger thing here than just speakers or headphones, and that is how people consume music now. When we were growing up, people listened to albums. You'd put a, you know, an album on the turntable, and a lot of people still do that, and they listen to the whole album. Mostly now, people listen to songs, and they listen to one song and that. The bottom line is, uh, culturally, there's been a sea change in how society views art in general. Art has become much more disposable and as such uh, has affected the entire music community because music has gone from being a sale commodity to being a press commodity. So really what, what we do is we, we make music to give relevance to ourselves as artists, but also as part of our body of work. As an artist, as a musician, you are represented by your body of work. And so it's really important to, to write and record music so that you have a, a body of work. It's the same thing. If you're a painter, you have to paint. If you're a writer, you have to write. If you're a musician, you also have to write and record in order to have this, you know, have the have a body of work for your music. However, and this is the bitter truth, no one is ever going to care as much about your music as you do. And it's really important to to kind of wrap your head around that because we tend to obsess on every little piece of what we're doing. It, oh. That one note, oh no, it, I got to fix it. I'm like, well, you can fix it, but no one really cares that much. <laughs> and I totally respect, you know, because really, for example, if you think about how we listen to music now, I mean, I like, I listen to music all the time. I listen to it all day long. It's what I do for a living and make music all day long for a living. But when I, uh, when I listen to music, I'm like, that's great. And then I move on. It doesn't change my world like it did when we were growing up, simply because back th and again, this is old guy talk. When we were growing up, there was much less media. There was there was a very limited amount of media, so that when things got into the, for example, you heard it on the radio, it had had, had this giant machine behind it and promotional machine, and then came the advent of FM radio, where th where DJs were allowed to play what they wanted to play. Now with internet radio, it's returned to that, so that's great. Now the playing field has been leveled. The uh, the uh, obviously the major labels only are, are not signing uh, a lot of rock bands, or they're mostly you know they sign whatever they know they can sell. And so, but yet all of us who make music in our bedrooms can also find a, 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 a through avenues like Bandcamp and all these other places can distribute our music digitally just like anyone. So the playing field at that point has been, uh, has been leveled and that's great for the creation of music. I think more people are making music now than ever before, specifically since the pandemic. Since there's no gigs, we're all recording records. We're all making records. We're all, you know, we're all in our bedrooms, uh, you know, uh, using our creative energy towards making things because we mm -hmm. can't go out and play. Which circles back to why do we need a home studio? 
which is where we well, started this episode. I'll say it again. As musicians, you are your body of work. Plus, the other thing is when you record, when you're recording, you're able to really microscopically examine what you're doing. And that could be scary. Like you're listening to your solos. You're like, why does that sound terrible? Is How is my vibrato? Is Why do I keep overbending? You may never hear that at a gig. And you may never hear that jamming with your friends. But when you record, all of a sudden you're, you're forced to really come to terms with your, your technique and your ability. And above that, what you have to say. Uh, I will say one of the things I've learned the most as I've gotten into home recording yeah, I've recorded some stuff and, and put it out there, you know, with, with the band I'm in, but simply just recording yourself pl- practicing has been one of the most beneficial things to, uh, for me as to getting my recording chops together is, is being able to kind of objectively step back and listen to how I sound and, you know, am I in front of the beat? Am I behind the beat? Am I on the beat? All that kind of stuff that you can't really accurately analyze in the moment you know it makes you a better musician yeah. there's no question about it because you're forced to analyze yourself you're forced to uh, and and then it, it it's uh i've always taught uh my students to to record themselves because for the same reason even if you're just practicing at home you you with a metronome you record yourself for that same reason the worst thing you can do is be ahead of the beat you know, you could laying back a little bit always makes things sound a little greasier. So you're behind the beat. I'll show you. For, for example, if I'm doing this, now that's on the beat. This is ahead of the beat. Here's behind the beat. On the beat. Ahead of the beat. Did it and did it and did did it behind the beat. Did it and did it and did did it. Now, which one makes you feel better? I vote well, New it Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was New Orleans, and then it was Minneapolis, <laughs> right? Kind of, I guess so. But no, that was on the beat. Was Minneapolis? So yeah, on the beat, Minneapolis. Yeah, exactly. We're, talk, on the we're beach, talking about Prince and, and and the time and stuff yeah. like that. But then again, totally- you listen to like. East Bay Tower of Power, there is no 16th note is left behind. No. Everyone is accounted for. Yeah. And Rocco you know. but, is the accountant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, the, but the whole thing with that stuff, too, is that it, 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 it sounds so great because when Rocco's playing those 16th note beats, everybody else is laying way back. That's, and he's, mm, he's. Good point. So that comes back to arrangement again. So you're talking about. Why do things sound good? If everyone was playing really like Rocco was and playing 16th notes, it wouldn't be anywhere near as funky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, I got to tell you, it's been such a treat to, to hang out with your old buddy and, and spend this time nerding out on this stuff. Thanks again for taking the time to hang with us. Oh, my pleasure. Mm-hmm.